We're going to jump into our series. This is part four of our series called Modern Family, trying to figure out how can we live a biblical family in these modern times. Sometimes it can be challenging. So today in our series, we're going to turn again to perhaps one of the most controversial sections of scripture. We're actually going to be here for the next four weeks. We thought this was just going to be an April series, and as we got into this, it's like there is so much that we think is so important to 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 understand about God's principles about family. Family are the most important relationships in our lives. They're the people that we spend the most time with. They're the people that frustrate us the most sometimes, the people that can make our lives the most, the best or the worst. And so we want to, to understand how can we operate in biblical families. And so in this section at the end of Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, uh, we see some verses at the end of chapter 5 and at the beginning of chapter 6 that basically talk about two relationships and four family roles. It talks about the marriage relationship, the husband and the wife, and then it talks about the parenting relationship, the parent and the child. And so we're going to start today by looking at the first of those. We're going to look at, at the one role that actually it has the most information about, and that's the role of the husband. So all the men, be ready. I'm about to get on you. I'm about to burn you women. You better be saying some amens today. And be ready, next week is coming at you, so don't get too comfortable. But today, we're coming at the men, man. We're going to bring God's word. We're going to challenge our men. We're going to encourage our men. We're going to inspire our men to be better. And, man, we are so, I'm so serious about this. I think that, that the greatest challenge that we have in our families right now, and I know that there's all kinds of situations, and everybody's situation is unique. But I think the greatest challenge that America has is that we've got a lot of men who just aren't men. We've got a lot of old boys. We've got a lot of immature boys who haven't stepped up, who haven't grown up, who haven't become the men that God's called them to be. And if there's anything that can happen in this series, my hope and my prayer is that we could encourage and challenge our men to grow up, to step up, to be the people that God's called them to be. Because here's what happens. When men aren't men, you know who suffers? Women and children. The people who are most victimized when men stay as little boys is women and children. And we see it all the time. I've been a youth pastor for, for eight years. And I can tell you story after story after story of heartbreak, of destruction, of dysfunction from young people who have grown up in homes that have been torn apart, that have been ripped apart. And far more often than not, the biggest problem is in the fact that they had a dad who wasn't a man. And so I encourage you men. Man, lean into what the Holy Spirit would say to you today. If you're not a man in this place today or, or you're not a husband yet, man, if you're a young man, I want you to know, man, God can train you and prepare you to be a great husband, to be a great father one day. If you're a female in this place, man, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're unmarried, I believe that God's got some great things to, to show you about the man that you need to be looking for, about the man that you need to find. If you're a single mother in this place, some of this is going to apply to you because you're the, the leader in your home. Because you're the person who is fulfilling that role, both of husband and wife, of mother and father. And so I believe there's a lot that you can glean from this, no matter what your life situation this morning. So in the culture right now, there's kind of a, a huge discussion about gender. I don't know if you guys have caught on to it. I don't know if you've paid attention. But sexuality, gender, it's a big deal right now. There's questions of, does gender even mean anything at all? Are we all just created equal. In fact, the Bible does say that in Christ Jesus, there is neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek. So there's some who would say, you know what, we're all the same, men and women. There's no difference. We're not designed for anything differently. But what we have to do is we have to go to God's word and see what does the word of God have to say. 
uh, we've got to go to the word and not look for, here's the verse that matches up with what I want it to say. But we really got to look at the whole perspective of scripture and see what does God really intend for us? What has God really called us to? Because here's what I believe. I believe that God knows us better than we know ourselves. And I believe that God knows the greatest way for us to be happy, for us to be fulfilled, for us to make the difference that he's called us to make, for us to be blessed. And I believe that when we submit to the authority of his word, that our lives are going to be better, even when it may not necessarily say what we always want it to say. So with that preface, let's dive in today to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. This is the famous verse. This is the controversial verse. This is the verse we're going to talk about a whole lot next week. But we're going to start this passage with it because this is where the passage starts. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now watch how much more information it gives to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Gotta love your wife a lot if you love your own body. I have heard somebody say before, uh, there's a reason why I didn't say that to women, because women always hate their bodies. You could be the most beautiful, most attractive 10, and you look in the mirror, and you see the one thing that's wrong. You could be the nastiest, fattest dude, and you look in the mirror, you're like, I'm looking good today, right? So the Bible says, women or husbands, love your wives like you love your own bodies, because dudes, we're just like that. No matter how bad we look, we think there's, we find the good. We see the good. We see the one good smile, the one good tooth, whatever it might be, we look at the good. Praise God, we're in Mississippi, amen. All right, so after all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So what's the main idea here? What's the word that is repeated the most? Is the main idea submission? Is the main idea respect? Is the main idea authority? No. The word that's repeated the most, who got it? Love. Seven times in this passage we see some form of the word, the word love. Love or loved or loves pops up seven times in these few verses. The big idea here is that God's designed family to be a place of love. That God's designed marriage to be the essence of Christ-like love. And we've got to understand that as we approach any relationship, that God has called you to be a person of love. That God has called you to share his love, to reflect his love, to understand his love. Love is the main idea. Now, the bottom line directive for husbands is this. To love your wife as Christ loves the church. That sounds pretty good, right? Like, hey, we get to be Christ. Christ is the hero, right? Christ is Mario. That makes the wife the princess. I get to be Mario. Mario's fun. Everybody wants to be Mario. It sounds good. I get to be the hero. I get to be the one who's in charge. But when we unpack this statement, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church, when we really dive into it, we find that there's so much more meaning packed in here than simply a story of Nintendo. There's so much more here directed at us as men. So what does it mean for a husband to love 
and lead like Jesus. If you're taking notes today, get ready because I'm giving you a lot of material. I've got 10 points for you today. You thought Pastor Jeff had a lot last week with seven. Show him what's up, rookie. Just kidding. But, man, we got 10 points today of what does it mean to love and lead like Jesus. We're going to fly through this. We're going to cover a lot of ground very quickly. But, man, I think it's so important for us to take that statement that God has called us as husbands to love our wives just as Christ has loved the church. We've got to dive into that. We've got to understand what does it really mean. So, first of all, for us men, if God should bless you with a wife, The question is not, are you the head of the household? It's not the question. The question is, are you a good head or are you a bad head? The question is, are you an arrogant head? Are you a selfish head? Are you an absentee head? Are you an irresponsible head? Are you an overbearing, abusive head? Or are you a Christ-like head? The question is not whether or not you're the head of the house. God's already decided that question. The question is, what kind of a head are you going to be? It says, just as Christ is the head of the church, so is the husband head of the wife. You see, we don't get to debate. We don't get to take a poll on whether Christ is the head of the church. We don't get to vote on that. We could all decide, you know what, at City Church, Christ isn't going to be the head of the church. We're going to have a different head. doesn't matter. Christ is still the head. We don't get to vote. God already voted. His vote's the only one that counts. Christ is the head. My opinion doesn't matter. Our debate doesn't matter. The CNN poll, the beliefs of our culture don't matter. Christ is the head of the church. And in the same way, God says, this is the way I've set it up. The husband is the head of the wife. So the question is, if you're a husband, it's not, are you the head? What kind of a head are you? What kind of a head are you going to be? Are you going to be a good head or not? So if you're at City Church and you're a guy who's not really loving his wife, not investing in your wife, not devoted to your wife, not nurturing your wife, you don't get to come to me and say, well, you know what? She's always just been a little bit more spiritual than me. She's better with the kids than I am. She makes more money than I do. She's the head of the house. All those things might be true, and I've seen them true in many households. But God says, husband, you're the one who I'm coming to. You're the one who I'm going to hold to account. You're the one who's responsible for what happens in your home. You're the head for better or for worse. I grew up in a home where my mom was the head of the household. I love my parents. My parents are great people, but man, my mom wore the pants. And isn't that a funny expression when you think about it? Like how many women do you know that don't wear pants, right? Everybody wears pants. Like very, very rarely do you see a woman in a dress or a skirt anymore. Sometimes, maybe a couple times a week, but probably five days a week, husband and wife are both wearing pants, right? It's just the way that it is. So what does that mean if the woman wears the pants? Does that mean the dude's in a dress? I don't know what it means. But In my family, you all know what it's getting at. My mom was in charge. She was the spiritual head, and here's how it happened. My mom actually led my dad to Christ. And so my dad looked to her as her spiritual leader, and it's a beautiful testimony and a beautiful story. But the way that God would have designed it, I believe, that what should have happened in our home is that through time, dad should have striven to be at the front of that relationship. And it never happened. Mom was the one who discipled us. Mom was the one who mentored us in the faith. Mom was the one who was not just the spiritual head, but it trickled into many other areas of life as well. And so my dad was the head, but he didn't assume the leadership role. When we go back to Genesis chapter 3, who's the first person who sins? We all know this, right? Who's the first person who sins? Women kind of through their teeth. He's the first one to sin, right? You don't want to admit it. She sinned first. Who's God come looking for? Adam, right? 
If you haven't seen the passage, I'm going to read it to you. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man. In the Hebrew, that word the man is actually Adam. So the Lord called to Adam, where are you? Adam couldn't look at God and say, yo, Eve's in charge. She took the role on, she took the lead on this one. She got to know the serpent. She talked to him. I was just submitting to her. God didn't come looking for Eve. God came looking for Adam. You see, being the head is not about being in charge. It's not about I'm your daddy, like Pastor Jeff talked about last week, which is funny. But that's not really what it's about. What it's about is responsibility. See, God's going to hold somebody accountable for what happens in the house. And God has said, husband, father, you're the one I'm going to come looking for. I don't care if you're the one who screwed up. I don't care if you're the one who got it wrong. I don't care if you're the one that caused the problem. You're the one who I'm going to hold accountable to get it fixed. And so when God came looking for Adam, what did Adam try to do? He said, "Woo!" The woman that you gave me. So he blames Eve and he blames God in one statement. Genius statement, right? Actually really stupid. But it's amazing that in one sentence he, he pulls off blaming Eve and God. He says, the woman that you gave me did it. This isn't my fault. Don't come looking at me. God says, Adam, you're the one who sinned. You're the one who messed up because I put you in authority. Because I delegated the responsibility to you. And so what's happened is in our culture, men have been pushing aside responsibility ever since. Man, we are the greatest Adam, Adamic culture ever. Like, we are the biggest reflection of Adam, where men are just trying to pass responsibility. We're trying not to be held accountable. We're trying not to grow up. We're trying not to be accountable to God, just like Adam was. But it doesn't matter because God says the husband is the head. It's the way that it works. So here's what I'm saying today. So there's a burden that God places on men. I think we need to feel it. See, I think in our culture, men have become pretty pathetic. I think in our culture, men really don't grow up the way that they're supposed to. In fact, for the first time ever in our culture, over half of the babies born right now are born out of wedlock. First time ever in America. For the first time ever, women are more likely to go to college. Women are more likely to have a job. Women are more likely to have a driver's license. Women are more likely to be involved in church. And I'm not saying that women shouldn't have any of those things. That's not, that's not the message that I'm preaching. Women don't need to work. Women don't need to. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me on that. What I'm saying is that men need to be men. If you're mooching off your wife, girlfriend, mom, if you're living off of them, you're a boy. You're not a man. And God's called us to grow up, to accept responsibility, to be men. And there's a burden that he's placed on us, and we need to respond to it. So that's the first thing. The second thing we need to know is that men are not the highest authority. Has God placed us in authority in our home? Yes. But we're not the highest authority. We're under the authority of the church, man, under the spiritual leaders, the elders, the pastors, the leaders of the church. If you get out of line, man, as, as a pastor, it's my job to come in and talk to you, to come and deal with it, to delegate that to other leaders in the church. That's, that's our responsibility. Men are under that authority. Not just that, we're under governmental authority. You get out of line, Cops may come looking for you. You might get a restraining order. You might get thrown in jail. And if you abuse a woman, you deserve to get thrown in jail. Just get that out there. Don't be stupid. Keep your hands to yourself. We're under authority. We're under so many different levels of authority. We're under the authority of the word of God. Man, the authority of the word is so important. We're all under that authority. And ultimately, we're under the authority of Jesus Christ as the ruling and reigning king. All of us are under many levels of authority. So the authority we have in the home is not I'm the man, look at me, I got this. The authority's delegated authority that God's given to us with a huge responsibility. 
the main thing we saw in the passage, to love our wife, to love our kids. That's the reason why God has given us that authority. Third thing we need to see is that men, we are not just to love marriage, we are to love our wife. A couple weeks ago, I talked about marriage and honoring marriage and, and esteeming marriage, and I believe in that very much. But we're not just supposed to aspire to marriage. We're called to love our wife. Because what happens a lot of times is guys get kind of this, this script, this model wife in mind that, hey, my, my wife's going to do this. She's going to be a great cook. She's going to listen to everything I say. Like we get this like perfect woman that we create in our head, and, and we're just looking for a woman to hand that script to. Okay, I want you to li- read these lines. I want you to play this role. And so we love the idea of marriage. We love the idea of having somebody to sleep with. We love the idea of somebody washing our clothes because mom used to do it, and it was great. We're looking for that. We're looking for somebody to fulfill a role, but we don't really love the woman that God gives us. We're not just called to love marriage. We're called to love our wife. If you're married today, husbands, can I just tell you, love your wife. See, anybody can get married. It's real easy to dress up, go exchange some vows, put a ring on a finger, sign a sheet of paper. You know what's hard? Love your, li- love your wife. I just said life. Love your wife as Christ loved the church for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years. That takes some work. That takes some effort. That takes some responsibility. So we got to not just love marriage. We got to love our wife. Fourth thing, and this one's so cool. Your most important human friendship is with your wife. Your wife needs to be your greatest friend. She needs to be your closest companion. In John chapter 15, Jesus, remember, we're modeling after Jesus. We're loving our wife as Christ loved the church. How does Christ love the church? Jesus tells his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friend. Remember that song? I am a friend of God. I won't sing anymore. I'm sorry. Never do that to you. Remember that song, right? He calls me friend, right? Jesus called us as his church his friend. And so as a husband, the person who we're supposed to be closest to, if we're reflecting Christ, is our wife needs to be our greatest, closest friend. There's a book that I highly recommend if you want to be a better husband, if you want to be a better wife. It's called Real Marriage by Pastor Mark and his wife, Grace Driscoll. They're from Seattle, so I'm kind of partial to them. But trust me, this book is awesome. The teaching's awesome. I, I really took a lot of what we're talking about today from this. But specifically this section, because of all the marriage teaching I've ever seen, this is the one that centers most closely on this idea of friendship. That we're supposed to be friends. That God has called us to not just be around each other, to not just serve each other, but to be friends. And so men today have become so lame that many times we just adjust to low expectations. We think, hey, if I work hard, if I pay the bills, if I put food on the table, man, I'm a loving husband. I'm a good husband because look at how many dudes around me don't do all those things. But here's where the rubber meets the road. What if we ask your wife, what kind of a friend are you? Are you a good friend? Do you need to do all those other things too? Yes. I'm not just saying be a good friend and not put food on the table, not pay the bills, not have a job. That's not a good friend. Uh, but, But are you a good friend to your wife? How does she feel? How does she respond to you? How do you treat her? So if you think you're a loving husband, let's ask your wife, are you a good friend? And I, I'm not careful. I'll be honest. There's times that I can not be a good friend to my wife. I, I've repented to her this morning uh, something you're probably going to think this is funny but this week it was Tuesday I think uh, we were at the gym we just started at the DAC we got a long way to go me specifically got a long long way to go but we're trying we're taking some steps we're, we're, we're getting serious about our health and so we're at the DAC and, and one thing Mel's really been struggling with lately is back pain 
And so we've been in the DAC for about two weeks, and we're doing our warm-up. We're on the bike, and I'm just, like, sweating already. I've been on the bike, like, three minutes. I'm sweating. I'm breathing heavy, like, not enjoying life, right? And Melody's over there, and she's doing so good. She's so far ahead of me, and she's just, like, happy and smiling. and like, I hate you. Uh, why are you enjoying this? And she's like, you know, I don't, I don't really have any more pain in my back. It's, like, completely gone since we've been working out. And I'm like, yeah, that's good, thanks. Like, like, I can barely speak. And she's like, man, I thought you'd be a little happier about that. And I realized, like, I got convicted, not in the moment, because in the moment I was still hating life. But later on, I remembered this and got convicted. What a terrible friend I was. Man, she's pouring out her heart about how this thing that we've been praying for for months has finally happened, that her back pain is gone. And I'm like, yeah, that's all right, cool. Like, I should be pretty excited about that. So I was a bad friend to my wife, and I'm sorry, baby. I already apologized to you, but I'm going to apologize again. i got to be a better friend to you. And trust me, that's just one example. There's many times where I'm not that great of a friend because here's the deal. I'm selfish. I like my life to revolve around me just like every single one of you. And as a husband, my, wife, my life's not supposed to revolve around myself anymore. It's supposed to revolve around my wife. I'm supposed to lay down my life for her. So I want to be a better friend. That's one of my life goals is to be a better friend to my wife. I want to be the best friend that she ever had. And I got a ways to go because she's got some good friends. She's been the best friend I ever had for a long time because I never had that good of friends growing up because we moved around a lot. But, man, my wife, she's got some lifelong friends since, like, three months old, like people that know every thought that she has. I'm not there yet, but I want to be, like, the best friend that she's ever had. That's my life aspiration. See, there's three types of marriage that Pastor Mark talks about. He talks about how you can live a marriage that's back-to-back, where your adversaries, you, you're, you're hateful, you don't like each other, you don't want to be around each other. You can live a marriage that a lot of times Christians do, where you're shoulder-to-shoulder. You've got some goals together. We're going to raise a family. We're going to run a business. We're going to manage the finances, whatever. And, and you kind of work together. But then there's the marriage that we should all aspire to, and that's the marriage that's face-to-face, where, where you like each other where you enjoy each other, where you know each other, where you pour in to one another. I think that's the the marriage that we should all shoot for. That's the marriage that I desire to have. And I can say honestly right now, in all integrity, that's the marriage that we've got. We've got uh, this Saturday will be four years since I got down on a knee and proposed to my best friend. I mean, it's been, it's gone by quickly. We got a long way to go. We got a whole lot to learn about marriage. And I'm not foolish enough to think that just because we got a face-to-face marriage right now, that that means we will at 10 years or at 15 years or 20 years if we don't work at it. We're going to keep working. We're going to keep pursuing each other. We're going to keep prioritizing each other. We're going to keep making ourselves each other's best friends. So men, take responsibility for the well-being of the friendship in your marriage. It's your responsibility. Number five, love your wife. And not just what you hope she'll become. Don't just love the wife that you hope she can turn into. Love the wife that you have now. A lot of times guys say things like, man, if she could just lose some weight. If she could just try this. If she would just learn that. If she would just learn to cook. Man, I would love her so much. If she could just get that one area together. But here's the thing. Aren't you glad Jesus isn't like that with us? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't come to us with a list of, hey, if you get this, this, and this together, I'm going to really be affectionate towards you. I'm going to really care about you. I'm going to really love you. But no, Christ demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He didn't wait for us to get to the place he wanted us to be. He loved us and said, you know what, because I love you, my love's going to change you. And if we're going to reflect the love of Christ in our marriage, that's the kind of love we need to have 
towards our wife. Don't just love the wife that you hope she can be. Love the wife that you have right now. All her flaws, all her imperfections. Love her for who she is. Number six, love your wife, whatever comes your way. Things change in marriage. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that. Things don't always stay the same. People don't always stay the same. People put on weight. People have developed new attitudes, new personalities, new experiences, new things shake them. A new job might affect the way that they respond to things. Uh, I've heard not too long ago, actually, there was a very prominent Christian leader. If I said his name, most of you would recognize it. He's got a TV show. Somebody wrote in a question about his wife having Alzheimer's and if it was okay for him to leave. And the, fact, the Christian leader said yes, that that's not the person you married. She can't remember you. It's okay for you to get a divorce. And he, he later on backtracked from that statement, and I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and believe that, that he just misspoke. But can I just tell you, it's not okay to leave just because something changes. It's not okay to leave your wife because she gets cancer. It's not okay to leave your wife because she gets Alzheimer's. It's not okay to leave your wife because something changed physically. It's not okay to, to leave your wife because you decided you desire to have kids and then you found out she can't. Love your life. Love your wife no matter what comes, no matter what changes, no matter what develops. Man, when you said those vows, you said for better, for worse, till death do us part. And aren't you glad that Jesus loves us like that? Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't turn his back on us when things change, when we don't remember things, when we don't respond the same way, when we put on a little weight, praise God, he doesn't give up on us. He keeps on loving us. He keeps on pursuing us. That's the kind of love that we have to have for our wives, no matter what. Seventh, be tough and be tender. You know, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the lion and he's the lamb. Jesus is tough, he's fierce, he's a protector, he's a defender. When there's heretics, when there's false teachers, when there's people who are trying to harm the church, Jesus will go after him, man. You read the book of Revelation, Jesus is a bad dude. He'll mess you up. He got a sword coming out of his mouth. I don't ever met anybody that bad. He can mess you up. He's tough. He is very tough. But you know what? He's also tender. He is tender and loving towards the church. And as men, our responsibility is to be tough towards those who would harm our family, to be firm, to stand up for our kids, to stand up for our wife, but to be tender with our family. And see, a lot of times what guys will choose one or the other. They're either going to be the tough dude with their family and they end up abusing their family, or they're going to be the tender dude to everybody and they let somebody else abuse their family. As a man, it's my job to be tough and to be tender. To be tough with my wife, excuse me, be tough for my wife and to be tender with my wife. I'm going to screw that one up badly. Had to edit that out of the podcast. Praise God. All right. Number eight. Men, as the family leader, we take responsibility for the well-being of the family. It's our job to make sure that the family is taken care of. You don't get to look at your wife and say, you need to get this together. You don't get to look at your kids and say, you need to get that fixed. You got to be involved. You got to be engaged. You got to be a part of the process, figuring out what can I do to help them to get stuff together. And I believe this goes beyond even our cultural definition of adulthood. A lot of times you'll hear a dad say something like, well, you know, he's 18 now, so he doesn't want to go to church, so he's, he's an adult. He gets to make up his own mind. He's living in your house. You don't get to make up his own mind. You need to be engaged in what is going on in his life. You need to be looking out for him. He's your responsibility. You got to be engaged. A lot of times you hear things like, well, you know, I don't really like her boyfriend. I don't really like the guys that she's dating, but I got to let, let her make the, her own decisions. No, you don't. You're the dad. 
God puts you in her life to protect her. If she's dating a scumbag, that's your fault. It's your fault. You can break that off real quick. And she may not like you, but trust me, protecting your daughter is more important than your daughter liking you. She's going to respect you for it one day. She's going re- to realize what you've done for her. Man, be involved, be engaged in your kids' lives. Don't just let them do whatever they want to do. And not just your kids, but your wife as well. we got to take responsibility for the well-being of our families. Number nine, we got two to go, almost there. These last two are probably right up there at the top with my favorite. Number nine is this. She is a garden husband. You are the gardener. You see, in Psalm chapter 128, verse 3, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Don't you love a good garden? Anybody here love a good garden? Man, the way it smells, the things that it produces, it's beautiful. Man, looking at a nice garden is nice. Having a neighbor with a good garden, pulling up tomatoes and watermelons and corn. Man, praise God for gardens. Now, how many of you have a good garden? Like, no hands went up. Why? Because gardening is work. Because gardening is a pain, right? Gardening is a challenge. I don't know it myself, but this is what I've heard. Gardening is tough. You won't find me out in the garden. My wife's laughing because she knows it's true. Uh, she loves the garden. Not my thing. But gardening is, is year-round work. If you want a good garden, it's going to require work 12 months out of the year to get that thing where you want it to be. And all of us want a good wife. All of us want a, a wife who, who is everything that we've desired, who's everything that, that we hoped for and prayed for. But how many of us are willing to put in the work and to garden? You see, God's called us as men to be the gardener. And so what that means is when a couple of weeds start popping up, you don't move to a new house and get a new garden. What do you do? You start pulling the weeds. When the, when the garden gets a little bit out of control, you don't just say, you know what, we're just going to burn the whole thing down and start over. You go to work. You get out the gloves. You, you get on your knees, whatever you got to do, and you start getting stuff under control. And so many times in our culture, we got men who don't want a garden. They just want to move on and find another garden. And here's the problem. No patch of grass anywhere will grow without weeds. They're going to pop up anywhere. I don't care how great or how bad your wife is, every person has some flaws. Every person has some challenges. Every person has some character aspects that aren't quite what God has called them to be. And you've got them yourself too, by the way, sir. Uh, And so... We got to be patient, but we got to go to work. We got to help our wife to to handle those things, to deal with those things. We got to nourish her, cultivate her. We got to challenge her and help pull out those weeds that pop up in all of our relationships. And what will happen is increasingly over time, the garden gets better and better. It gets more beautiful. It produces better flowers, better fruit, better vegetables. It smells better. It looks better. Man, and I'm not saying your wife needs to smell better. Don't read too deeply into the metaphor. I'm talking about the garden. I'm just saying. uh, Maybe your wife does, but that's another story, and that's not mine. Praise God. Uh, We got other challenges in our house, not that one. Praise Jesus. All right. (laughs) You got to be a gardener. You got to be willing to go to work, man. Last thing as we get ready to wrap up. If we're going to love our wives like Christ has loved the church, if we're going to be the head in the household that God's called us to be, point number 10 is this. Pastor your home. Pastor your home. You see, in the Greek, Jesus said, the, the New Testament was all written in Greek, and Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So if we're going to be like Jesus, we've got to be a shepherd. You know that the same word that is translated as shepherd is the word that's translated as pastor? See, that's what a pastor is. That's what my job is. 
I basically have two jobs. My job is to lead well, to lead the sheep, and my job is to feed well, to feed the sheep. It's my responsibility to make sure that this, this church is well-led, to be an example, to have, live a re reproducible life, like Pastor Jeff talked about last week. And it's my job to feed the sheep, to open up God's word and, and to present it in such a way that it can strengthen you, that it can make you better, that it can make you closer to God. But you know what? In the home, your responsibility, husband, is way more important than mine is. I get to do this once a week. Your job is to pastor your home seven days a week. It's to be that person who leads well and who feeds well. And what I see so often, what breaks my heart, is we got a bunch of malnourished families. And some of that is because churches aren't doing a great job of feeding. But most of that is because the shepherd, the pastor in the home isn't doing his job. Or he isn't even there at all. So I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you today, sir. Pastor your home. You may not even know what that looks like. I'm not telling you you need to get a microphone and a music stand and an iPad and stand in front of your kids and be like, here's what the Lord says. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to lead. You need to be an example. You need to live a life that they can aspire to. You need to raise kids that they can look at you and say, I want to be like my dad when I grow up. Or I want to marry a man like my dad when I grow up. You need to lead well. You need to lead your wife well. You need to lead her in such a way that she aspires to be everything that you want for her that you desire her to be because she looks at your life and she sees this, there's character, there's integrity, that you love Jesus, that you model that relationship, and you need to feed well. I think there's a lot of men who aren't feeding their families at all, who aren't reading God's word with their, their wives at all, not even like one day a week. I think there's a lot of men in the church, not just unsaved men, I'm talking about men who go to church all over the South, especially, who aren't getting into God's word with their kids who never open the word, who are trusting Kid City and the 662 and children's ministries and youth ministries to raise their kid in the faith. And I've, I've been a youth pastor for eight years. I love youth ministry. I love children's ministry. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to do what I do. But I'll tell you, a kid who's got a dad who will pastor them is going to be so much closer to God than a kid who's got the best youth pastor in the world. If you will take the responsibility that God has placed on you to be the shepherd in your home, to lead well and to feed well. I promise you, your pe young people are going to grow up in the faith. They're not going to wander off. They're not going to pursue the things of the world. They're not going to pursue the things of the flesh. Your wife is going to love you. She's going to respond to you. She's going to respect you because you're going to be a person worthy of respect. So today, my question for you, sir, are you leading well? Are you feeding well in your home? And if you're not, I'm not trying to condemn you. You may not even know, how do I even start? How can I even begin to open up God's word? If you don't know what to do, open it up and read a chapter. If that's all you do, start there. And as you do, here's what I believe. I believe that the more and more that you open it up and you read a chapter with your family, the more God's going to speak to you about what's in that chapter. And the more you're going to be able to feed them and pull things out and share things with them and inspire them and challenge them. And I told you earlier, if you're a single mom in this place, some of this message is going to apply to you because you're the leader in your family. You're not designed to be. It's not a responsibility you're supposed to bear. But if you're a single mom today, I believe that you're the pastor in your home. I believe that you need to lead well and you need to feed well. You don't have a man who can take this responsibility. Or if you're like in my family, where my dad didn't take the responsibility. Somebody needs to. Those kids need to be fed. They need to be led. So I would issue that challenge to, to the women in this place as well, but especially to the men. Shepherd your home. 
pastor your home, protect your sheep, lead your sheep, feed your sheep, care for your sheep. Watch what God does. I believe that God designed the family to be the greatest blessing that you'll ever experience. I believe that God wants your home to be a place of peace, that God wants your home to be a place of rest, that God wants your home to be a place of joy, that you look forward to being with your family. You can even love your job, but you can't wait to get home because your family is so dear to you. And I know so many people in America right now, they don't have that family. They're not in that situation. And I believe it starts right here. It starts with the men beginning to love their wives like Christ loved the church. It starts with men taking the challenge that God has issued to shepherd their homes, to lead well and to feed well. Will you be that man? I hope and pray that you will because I believe God has a vision for your family. And if you'll take up the responsibility he has for you, you'll be blown away what he can do in your life. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for family. I thank you, Father God, for men, that you have placed an incredible responsibility on their shoulders. God, I pray that, that today that, that the weight of that responsibility would become evident in some men's life. Lord, that, that maybe if they've been oblivious to it, maybe if they've been running from it, maybe if they haven't been pursuing it, God, that it would become tr just real to them, that this is what you've called them to. Lord, I pray right now that you would take these 10 things, Lord, that, that have been presented today and that you would feed our men with your word, God, that you would inspire them, you would challenge them to love their wives, especially as Christ loved the church, to lead and pastor their homes. Father God, to, to be the gardener and go to work start pulling out the weeds that they see throughout their family, God. And Lord, I thank you that you have a great plan for our families. God, I thank you that you have a plan to bless our families and not to harm them. You got a plan to use them for your glory. Lord, I just pray that you would begin right now with the men today. God, you've called them to lead. You've called them to feed. You've called them to bear the responsibility. And I pray that you would bring them to that place today, God, where they would accept that responsibility. That's the first step that they would embrace it, that they would pursue it and begin to become the man, the husband who loves his wife, even as Christ loves the church. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to do two things today. First of all, I just want to offer you the opportunity. If, if you don't know the head of the church, if you don't know Jesus, you're never going to be the husband <laughs> that your wife deserves. You're never going to be the man. You're never going to be the wife that your husband deserves. If you don't know Jesus, you're never going to be fulfilled. You're never going to be happy if you're not attached to the head of the church, first and foremost, before we get to the head of the family. So if you don't know the head of the church, if you don't know Jesus, if you've never repented of your sins and given your life over to him, I want you to know that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross 2,000 years ago for your sins and for mine. He died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again three days later. Right now he lives at the right hand of the Father. He wants to forgive your sins. He wants to restore you. He wants to offer you eternity with him in heaven. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I want to give you that chance. If you would, just every head bowed, every eye closed. If you'd slip up your hand and say, that's me. I need to know Jesus. I need to come back to Jesus. I need to repent. I need a fresh start with God today. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Second question for you today. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to change up. I think God just spoke something different. Every head so bad, every head so closed. If you're a man in this place, whether you're a husband, maybe you're divorced, maybe you're a single man who wants to be married one day. But if you're a man in this place, I want you to stand up. I want to pray for you. I want to pray something very specific for you. If you got a man standing up next to you,
if you would just slip your hand and, and just put your hand on them, women, young people. Uh, man, let's let's lay hands on our men. Let's believe God for big things for our men today. Father God.